Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. Hey, yo. This is not the second time we did that. That was the first. This is totally the first time. If you're listening to this. Still kicking out the cobwebs. Audio only. No, I'm just trying to do too many things at once. That's really all That's it all is. That's all right. So, welcome back to the Citizen's Guide to the Supernormal. We are a podcast dedicated to the weird, unexplained, and all things sticky, stupid, and uncomfortable. Like finding out that Kate Middleton has a very large strap on. <laughs> My name is Sarge. You can find me at Bastard Prophet on Twitter. With us, as always, is Maynard, our dedicated producer slash co-host slash fixer of stuff and breaker of stuff <laughs> and he is at maynard rules on twitter and then of course we have nature bitch laura at nature underscore b underscore laura underscore 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 there's more so i added some more no i'm just kidding i didn't add more <laughs> i'm like you know what it could use a few more underscores in there you can find us on on the on the twitter or you can just go into the the all my links in my bio and find all of our nonsense we're, um, we are a podcast, and we're located on all of your typical podcasters. And then, of course, is if you're watching this right now, you're either watching it on Twitter or you're watching it on YouTube. So thank you for tuning in, because I don't feel as weird being completely alone and talking to a camera with Maynard and Laura. I'm going to get right into it. Four years ago, <clears throat> we covered the enduring mystery of the Dyatlov Pass incident, which occurred in the former Soviet Union in the winter of 1959. Without going too heavily into the details, because you really should just go listen to those episodes, which are episodes two and three, the in, kind of a, right after the inaugural. It's right up there. Oh, we were so young back then. We were. We were also <laughs> so idealistic. Um, <laughs> we had no idea what was coming. So uh, we're available, as I mentioned, on all major podcast forms, but I'll give you a quick summary. So the story goes that 10 hikers went into the wilderness of the Ural Mountains, and only one of them survived because he quit the trip before it even started. I think he had a tummy ache, which is fine. Uh, well, many theories hover around the events of February 1st and 2nd, um, the hikers were found horribly mutilated in various states of undress, like they were taking part in some kind of weird orgy in the middle of a train wreck. The most likely culprit is a collection of incidents that accumulated in the tragic loss of life and one of the most baffling mysteries of the 20th century. Well, if you thought that was fucked up, buckle up, buddy, because we're about to get real messy with it by doing basically what is a sequel uh, that I like to call Dialov Pass 2. Stop fucking hiking in Siberia. Please. Thank All you. right. <laughs> buckle up, gang. Such got a story. The year was 1993. Arkansas native and sentient Big Mac Extra Value meal Bill Clinton is inaugurated as America's 42nd president. America's newly minted first female attorney general and former NBA power forward Janet Reno oversees a disastrous raid and subsequent worst barbecue ever at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas. American motorcycle maker, most trusted brand amongst retired accountants, Harley Davidson turns 90 years old and due to human error, a Russian nuclear plant, Tomsk-7, in the secret city of Severusk in Siberia, experienced an explosion that led to the surrounding town being exposed to a hundred times the normal level of radiation. <laughs> well done. Well done. Oh, my goodness. Good work, you guys. Good work. Um, and in the grand tradition of Russia radiating its people and then subsequently doing everything possible to pretend it didn't happen, the victims didn't receive an award until 2003? And each one of them got a life-changing $860, which in today's money is one gallon of gas per cancerous tumor. Congratulations. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Finally, roughly 150 miles, or 241 kilometers, southeast of Dyatlov Pass, according to Google Maps, six hikers would die suddenly and mysteriously while hiking back down from the Resla Translator Peak in Kamar Daban Mountain Range. So, pretty fucked up. We're going to get right into it. We're going to dig around. And you guys all get to join us and watch me read off a piece of paper. The magic oh, of television. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? I was just thinking about this. Do you remember the TV from Freddy Krueger? 
Oh, Dream the, uh, the Dream Warriors, yes. What I want is I want to get that TV. Do you have the picture? Oh, yeah. There we go. Look at this. There it is. Oh, look at him. I want that TV so I can just play like old school Nintendo games on it. Yeah, like the, like like yeah, with the arms coming out. Yeah, you need the arms. Oh, the yeah. arms need to be a part look of it. Look at that. Mm. The antenna's coming out of his head. Sexy. Oh, it's amazing. We got to build this. We do. I don't I know how. I don't no, feel like it would be that difficult. Could I could probably make it out of Lego, honestly. Like, like if you put that on Etsy, it would sell for like a million dollars. Oh, oh it, definitely. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it, and the funny thing is, it looks like something you could buy off of Etsy. It's not. Oh, good. totally. But like I built the Freddy Krueger TV. <laughs> Imagine building that TV and then just putting like a fish tank inside it. <laughs> so I, li- I like I like that one better because this he's like a little angry, but that he's like really angry. <laughs> he's like super one, mad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's great. We, we need this. Oh, and that, that's Patricia okay. Arquette right there, I think, too. Is it? Yeah. And she was one of my first crushes. She, she was, was Alyssa like, Milano. Yeah, she was only like thir- it, 13 there. But. It looks well, like I a, was like seven. It looks yeah. like a, a sculpture from a contemporary art museum. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. sitting there just like, hmm, very like, oh, interesting. Oh, this is nice. Mm, Look at this. I'll give you $50 million. And it's going to have a name like TV Arm 7. <laughs> or like ultimate sadness untitled <laughs> you know what's funny is when i saw that movie i was only seven years old and um my my friend's parents had a sleepover for us and thought it was a good idea to leave his 13 year old brother in charge oh dear uh yeah so my parents have him to thank for the many many nightmares i received after that all right i'm gonna get into it so um as I mentioned, we're talking about the Kamar Duban Mountain Range in 1993. Its range is not only popular, but extremely accessible to tourists given its location. The range is thought to be one of, if not the first range to be mapped by human beings. It was actually one of the first to be written about in literature. Located in the Pearl of Siberia, an area which is home to roughly 20% of the entire planet's fresh water on the surface, so surface level fresh water, according to an excellent YouTube video which I found from Merck Docs. The video is called the Khmer Duban Incident, and it's one of the many sources I used. You should check it out if you want to learn more, but I would turn it off after they start getting into the theories because they are wildly wrong about a couple of things at the very end of it. But it's all like speculation, so it's not like they're really pulling from facts. Unlike me, talking about the prince getting it in the butt. I'm obsessed with this. Yeah, wait, we do facts on this show? What happened? I've been dealing with that for a long time. I do, I I may make an ass out of myself, but I do believe in... (laughs) Some factual reporting on the show. So, um, moving on, the group was led by 41-year-old badass Ludmila Ivanova Korovina, who is Kazakhstani, uh, and she held the title of Sportsmaster on Pedestrian Tourism, which totally sounds made up. Ludmila was known for her experience in physical toughness. She specialized in wilderness survival and regularly trained hikers Uh, in those life skills. Her reputation was so prolific that people would travel from across Russia and the surrounding area to a tourist club called Azimut, where Ludmila was a guide and a teacher. There was reportedly some criticism of Ludmila. Peers would say that she was too focused on survivalism when the situation didn't really call for it. As a hiker myself, I knew people like this. One hiker I knew would actually break the handle off his toothbrush to save on weight in his backpack. Oh, I've heard that one. It's insane, right? It's, yeah. These people are fucking nuts. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) They also do that in prisons, too, right? Oh, no, they sharpen the Yeah, they turn them into shivs. Isn't that a shiv? So, I mean, when you think about it, he could probably have turned the handle of his... He'd be very successful in prison. Yeah, you'd turn the handle of his toothbrush into a blade, and then you wouldn't have to bring silverware. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm sure one of them has thought that. Most of the weight in your backpack is the flatware you bring along, your tea set and whatnot. Or that cast iron pan so you can cook on your campfire. (laughs) I know, right? Yes. Okay, anyway... um, Okay, yeah. So, however, this did not deter Ludmila's students who would actually travel long distances to work with her again and again. The group would consist of six young hikers, all nearly half Ludmila's age. The second oldest of the group was a man named Alexander Sasha Kriskin. So I looked this up, and I actually found out that Sasha is a, is a pretty common name. Uh, it's a pretty common nickname for somebody named Alexander. It's kind of like here in, uh, here in America where people named William are often called Bill, even though that doesn't make any sense. Um, so... Just to give you an idea. And then all the sources I found labeled him less as a tourist and more like Ludmila's unofficial adopted son. They were very close. Ludmila's... Oh, um... The rest of the group was Tatiana Filipenko, age 24. Denis Savachkin, 
age 19, Valentina Valia Utachenko, age 17, Victoria Vika Zalasova, age 16, and Timir Bapinov, age 15. Lyudmila's group was one of three hiking in the area at the time. One of the other groups was led by Lyudmila's daughter, Natalia, age 16. This is important to note, as Lyudmila had actually planned on meeting up with her daughter, Natalia, somewhere along the hike. Um, the date was August 5th that they planned to meet up. Um, and the other interesting thing is that, one, Natalia was only 16. And two, uh, Ludmila had actually planned two hikes. She had planned her daughter's hike and her hike, which is not uncommon for her to do. Um, and the tentative plan was for both groups to join forces and finish the hike together on August 5th. Or at least, like, continue on trails that would intersect so they would often run into each other. Uh, the weather for the trip was supposed to be mild. They expected clear skies with mild temperatures. Just to give you an idea, the average temperature in the area for August is usually around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 16 degrees Celsius. However, anyone who has hiked in a mountain range can tell you that weather can change really quickly. While the average low in the area was roughly 44 degrees, 7 degrees Celsius, the record low for that time of year was 24, uh, 21 degrees Fahrenheit, or negative uh, six degrees Celsius. It's also worth noting the group is prepared for implement we uh, inclement weather as rain is really common in the region at that time. On average, there's actually 15 days of rain every August. Which is a wow, lot. That's, that's a, a crazy that's amount half, of rain. half the month. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ludmila was known to have uh, meticulously followed the weather, but with the internet still in its infancy, it was kind of impossible for her to receive any sort of updates basically after they landed in, uh, in that area of Russia. So um, on August 4th, the weather made... Oh, I'm sorry. So the, the hike started uh, on August 1st or 2nd. Accounts differ. And it was pretty uneventful for two days. Most accounts say the group made really good time, summoning the highest peak in the range earlier than expected. YouTube's Merck Docs reports that the group covered roughly 43 miles or 70 kilometers in two or three days, which is really good. That's a lot. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, in the, the terrain was labeled as a moderate difficulty, sitting in the exact middle of the scale of one through five, which was used to rate it in that area. So can I, can I interrupt you here? Yeah, sure. So I, I looked this up today. So just for your person, nobody else listening will understand this, but a th level three is Huntington, uh, the head wall. Oh, shit. So yeah, it's a little bit, rough. they're saying, oh yeah, it's me, it's medium. Yeah. Medium on that scale. And the hiking scale, like going up a small mountain, mm -hmm. I think in New England would be a one or two. Okay. Okay. Um, our hardest hikes here are three. So they're, yeah. they're still doing some tough stuff there. So for, for reference, the head wall is basically a 45 degree, maybe even more. It's, it's, it's about this. Yeah. It's a very steep climb. You literally are scrambling yeah, you, up boulders yeah, like that. Uh, to get to the top of Mount Washington. Um, I'd done that hike and Ooh, it was, no. I was young at the time and I had never been in a cloud before. So I, as I was climbing up, the cloud was actually closing in behind me. And so I turned around and I saw this giant thing and like, I just had this mm -hmm. primal caveman fear. Like I was ready to start screaming and throwing rocks at it, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> Old man yells at cloud. Yeah, and so if yeah. you fall, if you fall off that trail into that cloud, you can't see where you're. Where yeah, your you have death no is. idea. Yeah, you're just fucked. Yeah. So, all right, a level and, three is actually kind of scary considering. Yeah. Um, okay. So, on August fourth, the weather made a drastic change for the worse. A cyclone had materialized out of Mongolia, descending on the group. Some sources say the rain began to fall while the group was still hiking, which soaked their gear, adding weight and burning them out. Others say the group was tired from a steady pace and had set up camp before the rain. And now, hearing Laura's description of a level three, that makes a lot more sense to me that they would be completely fried of doing essentially 20 miles a day in some of the, some of the harshest conditions I've ever hiked in. Um... Let's see what else. Others say, uh, yeah, yeah. So historic weather pattern, historic weather data for the region was not tracked until 1995. So there's no way to know for sure. Um, but regardless, it started raining at some point. 
Um, despite the conditions, the location where they camped was very unusual, given Ludmila's veteran status. They had stopped at a relatively flat area between two peaks on a gradual sloping ridgeline. The elevation at this spot was roughly 7,500 meters. I'm sorry, 7,500 feet or 2,300 meters above sea level. So let me explain something. Traditionally, seasoned hikers don't camp above the alpine zone, even in rough weather. The alpine zone is an area in a mountain above the tree line, but below the snow line. Within this buffer, vegetation is either non-existent or short, hardy fauna that can withstand a limited growing season in a harsh, unforgiving climate. The alpine zone is not the same everywhere. It differs depending on where in the globe you are. For instance, New Hampshire's White Mountain Range, the alpine zone typically starts around 4,400 feet or 1,341 meters. But in the Himalayan Range, it starts at 12,000 feet or roughly 3,700 meters. In Siberia, the alpine zone is is, uh, estimated to be about 7,000 feet, which is uh, 2,100 meters. Any hiker looking to survive the night in a mountain will opt for below the tree line. This is done to provide a bit of cover from the elements and a buffer to minimize wind. Also, the biggest threat in the summertime is thunderstorms. And if you're the tallest thing in the area, you are a lightning rod. So I can't really understand the logic here. Yeah, no, it's especially summer with the thunderstorms. Yeah, I would never camp on a mountain out from cover, even if it was beautiful out, if it was a completely clear night. Because in the mountains, weather changes on a dime. I've been on hikes where... I hiked maybe five miles in and it started raining and literally on the other side of the mountain, it's completely sunny. Mm -hmm. So weather changes so fast in mountain ranges. So I would, (laughs) I would never camp under, uh, without cover. If the wind doesn't get you, the bolt of superheated fucking electricity definitely will. Um, some sources speculate that Ludmila's over the top survivalism led her to set up the tent this way, the tents this way in order to teach her students. This theory makes some sense for two reasons. First, the tree line was only about two miles away, which is four kilometers at the speed they were going. They could have reached that in probably half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. The other reason is people familiar with the area say that in a nearby peak, there's actually a shelter and I got to see a picture of it and that shelter had dry firewood. And that huh. was only about 30 minutes away. So like... It was the, so stupid. Yeah, I, I, absolutely as soon as stupid. I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, are you fucking serious? Now, the thing is, I don't want to speculate too much. And the reason I want to speculate is because we don't know what was going through Ludmila's head. Maybe, you know, maybe the group was all complaining and she was just done dealing with the complaints for the day. Um, and we'll get into why I'm saying that in a little bit because there's more, more to it than that. But still, personally... I don't give a shit if I have to carry you myself. I would never camp above the tree line. Ever, ever, ever. Mm-mm. Nope. <clears throat> okay. The, the, so there's a second theory, too, that suggests Ludmila set up uh, the camp here because she didn't want to lose any time as she was expected to meet her daughter the next day. Again, I don't want to speculate, but that might make a little Oh, speculate away. Yeah. If you get a 16-year-old no. daughter hiking on a trail... In Siberia, you know, maybe you want to speed things up so you can go catch up to her and make sure she's okay. But still, I mean, it, it, the the tree line couldn't have been that far out of their way. You it's, know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. They were going down anyway. I don't understand why they why they would have stopped. Knowing knowing of avid hikers in the hiking community, um, I also think it could also be big ego. There's a lot of hikers out there that they. It, it, yeah. It's all for the goals, yeah. Can't and they confirm. won't, and they're really fucking stubborn. Um, and I, I hate those kind of hikers because they kind of put safety second. They really do. So it could <clears> be some of that as well, you know, because if she's like super master sportsman, Russian. Yeah, it's whatever. like a source of pride. Like, look how tough we were. We slept exactly. in an open ridgeline for funsies. Yeah, I sleep on rocks just for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tough. I sleep inside the rock. <laughs> <laughs> take out broken toothbrush, scratch away granite, climb inside and go to bed. Snuggling That's... potato vodka. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Drink it in the morning. Can we do the whole show with that accent? <laughs> it would be that, really difficult. No, that, that'd be that was my original <laughs> suggestion. I'm like, I wanted to do the whole show. I couldn't have. To maintain I couldn't that. Have. Anyway, regardless of which fucking stupid idea was the reason for them staying up that way, as you guys might recall from Dyatlov Pass, if you follow the story or listen to our podcast, risky decisions like this never end well. Because this is exactly what the fuck they did in the Dyatlov Pass incident. They camped above the tree line. Mm-hmm. Like morons. Go right. to self. 
don't camp above the tree line. Yeah, like I, I'm not even in, in guys, like I know it might sound like I'm a know-it-all or whatever, but I'm telling you, this is when I was a Boy Scout at fucking 12 years old, this is one of the first things I learned. Don't camp above the tree line ever. It's like if you live in Kansas and there's tor- possible tornado, are you going to go stand in the middle of a wheat field? Yeah. Yeah, like even if you're, even if it's like it's the, the hundredth tornado warning you've received that day, you're still not going to go stand outside and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's common sense. <laughs> Somebody said, why is camping above the tree line bad? Madeira might have missed it, but um, basically it's just you're out in the elements. It's not safe. Um, and your tent could easily get destroyed by wind. Um, and as I mentioned, as night progressed, the weather took a turn for the worse. Located in the area, they were located in an area where two climate zones meet, so it's like a prairie and a mountainous region, and that met up. So you get in the cold air, meeting up with warm air, which turns into a cyclone. Um, kind of like a hurricane here, actually. I think a cyclone is basically a hurricane. It is, yeah. Yeah. It's a... <clears throat> Spinny. It's a so spinny thing. The formation of a cyclone isn't common in the area, but it isn't rare either. So it's something that happens every couple of years like hurricanes do for New England. Um, all accounts that I found relate to a drop in temperature, thunder, and even snowfall. In the night, the wind picked up rapidly, stretching the limits of their tent. These harsh conditions prohibited them from making their fire, but the group was still supposedly in good spirits. So the next morning at 4 a.m., August 5th, the group woke up with... You guessed it, damaged fucking tents because of the wind and the rain. Wow, really? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Surprise! It's almost like <laughs> camping in a place where there's nothing to block the wind might be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So um, what had happened is the wind had stretched the tent seams and so water started breaking through. Some of the tents even ripped. So everybody woke up at 4 a.m. because their sleeping bag was either soaked or the wind had broken their tent. And so they had just kind of gave up. They started packing up their gear. Um, They were able to light a fire. They had breakfast, and then they got the fuck off the mountain. Um... I just I didn't know I could put comments on the screen. That's so really this is, great. Yeah, this is this is something I like that. Something <laughs> I discovered yeah, halfway through like the show. You, could, you know, might as well just stay inside. <clears throat> you know, go, go see a movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I would run into this. I know mean, your limits. Yeah. So <laughs> I, just prior, here's the thing though. Just prior to moving down the trail, Alexander would complain about not feeling well, but believe that getting going might help his condition. And this isn't super uncommon for hikers. I know many times I've woken up with some general soreness, just kind of oh, felt yeah. like shit, but I knew the minute I started getting going, I was going to feel better. And that's just, I mean, that's just typical. Like even when you have a hangover, you're going to feel a little bit better if you get up and you start moving around. Mm-hmm. Drink a lot of Pedialyte. <laughs> Fresh air is overrated. Egg McMuffin. There you go. <laughs> Down the trail. <laughs> I like Alejandra. She knew. This is like the first time I've seen her on the in the comments. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so later on the fifth, what's fresh air? <laughs> well, you live in England; it's different for you. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. They had like a whole a whole like winter. They had to shut the whole country down because <laughs> mm. of the fog in London. I think it was that was oh, 1959. Right. The London fog. The I'm London wicked fog, smart. And now kid. we have raincoats. Thank you. <laughs> wicked smart. Oh. Should I can refill my popcorns in the room. Hey, buddy. Thanks for visiting. I've opened up a can of worms with this comments on the screen. Thing. Sorry. <laughs> no, we're in trouble. <laughs> All right. So later on the 5th, Natalia made it to the proposed spot. She waited for a bit, but after no sight of her mother, Natalia assumed they were held up by the weather and moved along. She later left the area and returned home, not knowing anything about her mother's condition. Like mother, like daughter. Stupid. Yeah. Go on, sorry. This makes Not, me angry. Yeah, like every, I know. Every sentence. If, you... if I was supposed to meet up with a group, I would have hung out for quite a while. And if that group never showed up, I'd start going down their trail to check on them. Exactly. I've definitely done that before. You're like, oh, mom's not here. It's been five hours. Let's just go home. Yeah, okay. she's eh. fine. Fuck it. She's tough. She's 41. She knows what she's doing. I don't have a loser horn sound. Sorry. <laughs> it's a sad trombone. <laughs> um, so nothing would be heard about this group until August 10th when kayakers going down the Anika River, would see a bloodied young woman standing alone on the shore. The woman on the shore was Valentina, and her story was remarkable and fucking terrifying. Valentina said things started to go wrong almost right after they hit the trail. The weather had only gotten worse since they had woke up and the conditions were miserable. As you can imagine, the soreness of a long hike, coupled with being woken up early by freezing rain and wind, the group is in rough shape and they move slowly. After more than a mile... 
about two kilometers, Alexander, Sasha, at the rear of the group began to scream. Valentina says that Alexander was literally frothing at the mouth and bleeding from his ears. Some accounts say he was also bleeding from the mouth and eyes. Ludmila would immediately tend to Alexander and tell the others to continue down the trail led by Dennis and Tamor. At only 15, Tamor was actually one of the more experienced hikers, so this wasn't as unusual as it sounds. Accounts differ on the reason, but the group immediately set out and then return, returned shortly thereafter. Some say it was because they were scared, while others say it was that Ludmila had called them back. When they reached Ludmila, they saw that Alexander's condition had worsened, even still, and he had become unresponsive. Ludmila insisted that Valentina and Victoria then go in the woods. Victoria was the least experienced hiker of the group, and Ludmila had almost decided not taking her due to her lack of time in the trail and her habit of loudly complaining. Which... <laughs> Reminds yeah, usually me, those hikers at home we're like yeah it's not enough room in the car it reminds me very much of my 13 year old daughter so i get it i totally mm. understand um and and so the reason i bring all this up is it's worth noting because of what happens next victoria begins acting erratically valentina tried to get victoria to follow uh, but victoria would actually start biting valentina Undeterred oh. in probably the most Russian thing ever, Valentina resorts to pulling Victoria by her hair into the wood line, which I fucking love. Sounds very... Valentina eventually gave up, though, and once again returned to the spot where Alexander now lay dead. Nearby, Tatiana was doubled over and literally fucking bashing her head on a rock. Uh, Timur started grasping at his own throat as if he was suffocating. This is, again, according to Merck Docs. Like, we've got a lot of good information because... And, and just you know, Merck Docs had actually had a ton of sources. So it's a really good... It's a really good source for facts if you want to watch this YouTube video. Just once you get to the end, just turn it off because they have no idea what they're talking about after that. <laughs> so thanks for the first 35 minutes, Yeah, guys. the first 35 minutes are phenomenal. <laughs> but the minute they start getting into the theories, it's like, it's like you know, a child wandering into the end of a movie trying to figure out what happened. Um, so... Uh, Dennis tries to restore order by getting supplies together, but Valentina would note that he quickly dropped the supplies after he got them together, and then he would himself fall over. Dennis would then begin trying to pull off his clothing, and don't forget, it's raining, super cold, snowy, windy. Um, he would try to pull off his clothing. Valentina would try and help him, but he kicked and thrashed at her. As panic set in, so did the symptoms. Some ran away and hid behind rocks, while others retreated into their sleeping bags and basically just gave up and laid on the ground. Valentina reported that all six group members bled from their ears and froth at the mouth. Here are some direct quotes as related from the website that I didn't know. Dennis began to hide behind some stones and run away. Tatiana beat her head against the stones. Victoria and Timur probably went astray. Ludmila Ivanova died of a heart attack. After some time, two girls fall at once. They start rolling, tearing their clothes, grabbing their throats. The symptoms are the same. The boy is falling behind them. The girl and the guy are left. They decide to leave the most necessary things in their backpacks and run down. The girl leaned over a backpack while she laid out, lifts her head. The last guy with the same symptoms rolls on the ground. The night was spent under a stone on the edge of the forest zone. The trees were falling nearby like matches. In the morning, she rose back. So I found out um, that that is actually the interpreter interpreting what she's saying. Mm. So that's why it's in the third person some of the time and probably why they didn't use a lot of names. So seeing the situation was well and truly fucked at this point, Valentina ran for the tree line with limited supplies. She eventually fell asleep under a, a rocky outcropping in her sleeping bag. When she awoke, she returned to the group to get supplies so that she could hike out. Sources say she knew they were dead before, they, before she even saw the body based on the condition when she left them. Again, I don't want to get too deep into speculation as Valentina had been notorious for her silence in the event due to the trauma she endured. Uh, in fact, at the hospital, they said she actually went into a somewhat catatonic state and just wouldn't speak at all. Well, yeah, and they said that was pretty, that's pretty normal to someone who's totally had adrenal normal, yeah. adrenaline rushing for like... Five days straight. Yeah, she's going to be tired for a yeah, while. It's going to wear you out. <clears throat> um, but I, I've got to wonder if she knew they were, if she really knew they were dead just because of the guilt she felt. But essentially, a translator would say that she did everything possible to avoid looking at the bodies while she was there. So she didn't want to yeah look in their direction i wouldn't either um 
Valentina eventually found power lines as she was hiking down the mountain and began to follow them because she believed that they would take her to civilization. But in a really cruel twist of fate, the power lines ended at an abandoned village. Oh. Oh, yeah, great. So fucked up. That's great. I can't even imagine that if I was like hiking someplace and like I got off trail. Yeah, like you the were first lost. thing you do is you follow you follow water you follow rivers downstream or you follow power lines. If you see power lines, that's perfect. That's absolutely hor- like that's horrifying. That's Horrible. like nightmares. You know what's funny is it's funny you say rivers because that's exactly what happened. She found a river, ah, and she then followed that. The problem was the river was too difficult for her to cross. And she had literally started to preparing to prepare for dying. She had she had convinced herself herself after five days. Yeah, yeah after five days, yeah. she had convinced herself she was going to die. And it was at that moment that she saw the kayakers coming down the river. Now, originally, and this isn't in my script because I didn't have a lot of time, <laughs> um, but the kayakers saw her standing on the shoreline. They didn't think anything of it because she wasn't waving them down. She was just staring at them. Yeah, but then she was all just, yeah, yeah, just fucked, just wiped. It was like that scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre when she's in the she's in the pickup truck and she starts laughing like game over. Oh, yeah. That it is, but hold on, it gets worse, Alejandra. It gets worse. So, um, eventually, the um, the hikers, I'm sorry, the kayakers, they get the curiosity gets the better of them, and they actually pull over to the river and start talking to her. And she snaps back into reality and just fucking loses her mind and just spills the entire story. She's covered in dried blood and just tells them everything. Damn. Yeah. The police wouldn't find the bodies until either August 21st, 24th, or 26th, depending on the source that you go to. And this so a was a while later. And then we also found out that the reason why is because of the weather conditions, because of how fucking shitty the weather was this whole time. They just couldn't get there. It wasn't safe. Um, reports say that the bodies were bloated and in various states of undress, which is typical of paradoxical undressing and, and pretty much follows the what she had said, what Valentina yeah. had said. And that um, happened in the Dyatlov Pass people exactly, too, right? Exactly. They got hypothermia. And just like Dyatlov Pass, the animals had started to eat the bodies. In startling yeah. similarity, the condition of the bodies were almost the same as the victims of the Outlove Pass uh, when we talk about missing their eyes and their tongues. Um, those are like the, <clears throat> the softest tissue for animals to just... Exactly. So animals always out. go for the soft tissue first. They usually go for your face um, and, the, you know, obviously the softer part of your body is before they start ripping away your muscle. Um, which is fun to think about if you're eating a snack right now. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I got lots of soft <laughs> spots here. Probably work on that. Don't we all? Don't we all? Um, autopsy reports are kind of crazy when you think about the symptoms that are presented. Uh, Ludmila's cause of death was listed as a heart attack. Ack, 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 ack. The remaining... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you resist. ought to know by now. I really couldn't resist. Um, the remaining dead were deemed to have died from hypothermia. Now, I've learned a lot about hypothermia through my time uh, as a Boy Scout because I made it all the way. I was in Cub Scouts from the minute I could be in, and I stayed in until I was 18. I got my eagle, the whole nine yards. And we talked a lot about it because we're in New England, and we did a lot of hiking. Um, and, and we'll get to why that's relevant. But also, I did some training, some cold weather training in the Army at 40th and Allen in Vermont. Which is the coldest fucking place on earth? It's the only time in my life that I've experienced negative twenty. Wait, where was this? Fort Ethan Allen in Vermont. Fort in, Ethan in, Allen. Yeah. Did you get a gift January. card after? Or? No, there was no furniture to be had. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> they did give us Ben and Jerry's, but no one. Well, I mean, that, I mean, when you enter Vermont, you just get handed Ben and Jerry's, especially well, Stowe. And so maple syrup and furniture. ice cream. I do have to tell you guys a funny story. So. um we we went in a, in a bus and it was a bunch of young soldiers. We hadn't even gone to basic training yet. Like this was Massachusetts Army National Guard was preparing us for basic training. And so they sent us to cold weather training at Fort Ethan Allen. Um, and we pulled into a, um, a rest stop because Fort Ethan Allen is out in the sticks. It's out in the middle of nowhere. So we pulled into a rest stop to get some food. <laughs> I got off the bus. I walked into the McDonald's and everyone stopped and looked at us. It was like a movie because it's like 40 soldiers in full uniform just invading this McDonald's, right? So everyone stops and looks at us. And I was like, don't worry. 
The National Guard's here. Your maple syrup is safe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other funny thing about Fort Ethan Allen is at dinner, after you finish dinner, you get one of those little containers of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Oh. They give it to every single person. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's is real cool like that. They donate donate ice cream to the base and and everybody got free ice cream at the end of dinner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. We didn't eat it, though, because it was negative 20. We just literally put it outside and stacked it up. <laughs> like, we'll save that for later. We did. We did. We <laughs> saved it for later. Um, this winter. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so um, I've never once heard of bleeding from the ears and eyes as a symptom of hypothermia. Not once. Uh, I've heard of a lot of crazy things. There's actually some stuff that you may not be able to find um, through traditional sources like I went to the Mayo Clinic and even the Mayo Clinic didn't talk much about paradoxical undressing but as we've talked about I think in a couple of episodes now through different things we've talked about human beings getting so cold that their body goes into shock and then when their body goes into shock it heats up and that's why they're ripping their clothes off because you're literally sweating but it, you're not actually, like, you're in your mind, you're sweating. In your mind. Yeah, exactly. in your mind. It's psychological. And actually, psychological. What's, what's really happening is that all of your blood is going to your vital organs. So it's pooling in your head and your, your um, abdomen. And mm. your, because uh, basically your body's like, well, fuck your fingers and toes. We need to keep the heart yeah, going and the brain going. Yeah, that's why you get frostbite on your nose and your fingers and your toes and stuff, yeah. The, uh, the autopsy also listed bruised lungs, which is typical of um, advanced cases of hypothermia, and protein deficiency, meaning that they were um, under undernourished. They were uh, not eating well, apparently. And that also makes sense because when you're hiking in colder temperatures, you burn about 3,600 calories. Yeah, you need, I mean, if you hear about through hikers, you know, doing those long trails, 2,000, they usually try to get like 5,000 calories a day. Yeah, you need to eat real heavy because you're going to drop weight quick and it's not good for you. Like as much as I would love for that to be a diet plan, trust me. It's it's not a diet plan. Yeah, your body will start eating your muscles if you don't have enough calories Mm -hmm. in your body. Um, So here are some conditions that might expedite the onset of hypothermia. Let me know if you think any of these might be familiar. Exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Mental problems like, and medical conditions like pure, uh, like poor nutrition. We often mm-hmm. we also have the basic ones like old age, um, old age, very young age, alcohol use. Of course, everybody mm-hmm. knows that alcohol thins your blood. What is mental problems though? Is that like before you start, or like just being delirious from hiking, like something that happens during? Well, that's say? the thing is if you if you start to experience delirium, you can sort of so, make things so worse for yourself. The yeah, event. not dressing well and yeah, or if you're just not in a proper state of mind. Okay, so, so both. So both. Okay. If you have like high anxiety, for instance, you know, you might you might not be focused on what you're wearing yeah. and, and all that stuff. You might not be focused on where you're putting your fucking tents <laughs> when you go to bed at night. Yeah. Um so those are the only relevant ones. There's a few others. But yeah. That's the story. We're going to get more. Well, there's some other stuff we can talk about, but I I want to wait. And I want Maynard to start talking about his conspiracy theories because I know he's got a couple. Well, I, I'm just going kind of going back to uh, the, the you know some things I read and also from the, the video that you said not to watch the end of. Yeah, um, don't but- watch the end of that video. Guys, um, the, the Merc Docs video, not only should you not watch the end of it because it's wildly wrong about... Uh, one particular thing that I'll get to, but it's also wildly wrong uh, for showing the fucking dead bodies. Um, they blur them out, but it's still pretty go- pretty gory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stumbled upon another video that actually showed the bodies without blurring them, and much worse, much much worse. But <laughs> if you are, um, you know, if you're just not comfortable with that sort of thing, please be advised. Uh, Alejandra says that she was starting to worry she was experiencing hypothermia, so. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of things in there that it's I think... It's okay. Am you're I? not experiencing hypothermia. You're just... Um, you're from where they filmed Goonies, so that's your fault. <laughs> I know who it is now. <laughs> um, no, there was just one thing that stuck out to me, was the fact that there was... There was a typhoon at that point, because this was August, right? So there was a, there was a typhoon in the Pacific. It's like, uh, oh, there was also the cyclone, too. Well, same thing. That's what I mean. Cyclone. It wasn't in the Pacific. It was right on top of them. Was it? Well, it had to... They're in st- central it starts, Russia. Yeah, but it starts in the ocean and goes to them. No, it starts no? in... It started in Mongolia. Mongolia's land. All right. All right. 
Well, the video showed it over water, so I guess don't watch the video. It might no. You know what? You know what it is. <laughs> I, I think, think that might have been a stock photo. Yeah, it could have been either a stock photo or it could have been a satellite image where just the rest of the land was dark because Mongolia. You know, yeah, no, I no, I I, yeah, I, get, I I thought it started over water and moved in, but never. <laughs> no, well, it could have, it could have, you know. We just crushed his theory and like. No, it did. Tiff will get there. No, 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 Tiff will get there. No, 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 no. It, and t- t- all right, look, it was not aliens, not aliens. Anyway, um, I it, think it could have been. It could have been Yetis, and oh yes, it I mean, aliens. It it was. Look, it's it, there's always it's always Yeti, so there's always a possibility it was Yeti. We'll just we'll just get this. I knew that was coming. We'll get this out of the way. It could have been Yetis. You Hashtag can't pr- you can't prove it Yetis. wasn't. But the one thing that I found interesting was through that storm, no matter where it was, what well, what it's called, it was generating these these winds that were creating this this low level low low frequency sounds that have been known. To drive people insane, like the brown note, you just poop like immediately. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! You didn't know about the brown note? No. Oh man, you got to watch that South Park episode. It's a good one. Oh, God. It's like the first. Or, oh, it, it's it like in the South early Park. season. Yeah. yeah, it's the sound that makes you poop oh, immediately. I didn't need to remember that. <laughs> but but yeah, so it was a, a low. These low frequency sounds have been known to like, you know, harm people. And the thing is, you can't hear them. But your brain feels the vibrations, yeah. and that could explain some of the bleeding out of your eyes and possibly so ears. You're saying this subsonic noise can actually trigger blood to come out of your eyes. It could, and then combine that with the you know the the other stuff that they were already the going through the hypothermia, like that. It could have been you know, like I said, you know, like a like a you know, just yeah, a storm of different things up there. Blood, so you well, do, when you when, do when you're when, when when you're like like you guys know when when you're, when you're up there like. The, the elements are already like kicking your ass. Like you throw in like a storm with weird sound waves, like getting into your brain. Like your body's just not meant. Yeah, to I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, some of the of scariest stuff. time, the most scary times of my life have been when bad weather sets in when I'm hiking. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen some real scary shit. So what you're saying is I need to drink beer all of the time to make sure that no one can ask me to go on a hike. Yes, yes. damn it, Boomer, you are yeah, 100% yes. correct. You are 100% right, yeah. To just, just, just do that. Just keep just But hikers like to drink it. beer when they hike, too. So. Yeah, because well, yeah, that's, that, that's your reward at the end of the hike. At the end of the hike? I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely consumed <laughs> alcohol. Halfway through. I've definitely consumed alcohol out of a flask in the middle of the trail. But I also had a camp stove to keep myself warm. Well, maybe that's what mm. just... Get you there. Preparation. And there wasn't a cyclone over my head. <laughs> so I was okay. I knew I'd make it. So that's a good that's a good theory. Um, I'd also heard a theory about nerve agents. Nerve agents? Yes. I, I oh, like to go. think that anything bad that happens... <laughs> <laughs> it was Thanks. nerve agents! That was literally me today <clears throat> with a head full of Adderall just sitting on my computer. It was Pepe Silvia? I'm going to figure this out. Just lines all over his wall. Yeah, it was Pepe Sylvia. That's who just throwing oh, yeah. mail in the trash the whole time. What <clears throat> I was gonna say. We were talking about nerve agents. Yes, I like to think that everything bad in, that happens within the confines of Russia is nerve agents. Hey, Cheryl, good to see I, you. It's nerve agents. Haven't seen Cheryl in a long time. Good to see you, Cheryl. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that up for like the rest of the show because it's always Yetis. But but yeah, <laughs> R- Russia is like I mean that that's just what they do. Like they, they, I mean, they poison people. They do all this stuff. That's like, what, that's their thing. Yeah. 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 Nerve if agents. If you ask me like what 100%. one thing comes out of Russia, I'll be like nerve agents. All right. Well, here's the problem with that theory though. This was in 1993. So? And when I was Putin researching, was when I was researching all the things that were going on in 1993, this was a time, this was one of the only times in American history where we actually had a very good relationship with the nation of Russia. Yeah. But what that have to do with but... us? These were Russians. Did they have a they bad relationship Soviets, with though. the Ukraine? And this is what happened. Is or, this was about the time that Russia was rebuilding, and they desperately needed America's help. So they had a great relationship with us. We weren't the enemy at this point. Asian. Boris Yeltsin was actually very good friends with George W. Yeah, Bush. Yeah, but what's that, what's that have to do, what's that have to do with, the, with the hikers, though? So they wouldn't... This was a very well-traveled trail. So it's unlikely that the Russians would have been testing nerve agents in an area where a lot of people were hiking. Because the thing about nerve agents is it stays in your clothing. In oh, okay. fact, if you, if you, they say, and this was on a, um, 
very scarily enough on the New York City Health website. It's like oh, NewYorkHealth.gov. They're like, if you encounter a nerve agent, cut your clothing what? off. Don't take your sweatshirt up over your oh, head. Oh, because you're going to be putting, yeah. Because you could just reinfect yourself. So nerve agents stay in your clothes. It, it, actually, if what well, um, what we learned um, for the nerve agent that they used in England when the, the Russians killed or tried to kill those two people in England very recently. Yeah. They put it on a doorknob and it stayed on the doorknob oh. and killed, or I think it got one of them very, very sick and killed one of them. And that was wow. because of the nerve agent. It stays in your clothing. So I doubt that, that the Russian army would have tested something, one, because they weren't really in a place to test anything. They didn't even know where some of their submarines were at this point. But, but the other reason is you don't want that nerve agent getting out into the population because anybody could get it and anyone could get sick. Yeah. And this was something I only discovered recently. I discovered it today. So when we first recorded this, when we had all the audio issues, I didn't know that nerve agents stayed in your clothing. So it, it would be yeah, crazy yeah. to test a nerve agent in this area because it was highly accessible. A lot of people hiked this trail. It was extremely popular. So I originally was thinking, because one of the things I learned in my chemical training in the military is that nerve agents can cause bleeding. Um, I forget which one it is, um, but it can cause bleeding from the nose and ears. So when I first read this story, I was like, oh, it could have been, you know, a derelict Russian nerve agent left in the middle of nowhere. But because this is such a highly traveled area and it's actually storied in Russian history, I doubt they would have sullied the area by testing um, weapons well, and, there. and more people would have would have become victims yes absolutely okay. and also the other the other side of it and this is another thing that i discovered just today is that this area as i mentioned it holds 20 percent of the fresh surface water in the world wow. so they're not going to poison that water um because it, they need to drink it wow so yeah okay so it kills me I'm to say it because i thought i thought that it yeah. could be chemical weapons but it really isn't okay you guys want to hear my theory yes please all right put up the charlie day thing again. here we go here we go. <laughs> so I spoke with a friend of mine named Janelle, who is a seasoned EMT and currently the, ins- the assistant superintendent of Boston EMS. We knew each other growing up in Quincy. We were friends back in the day. Um, and she's no stranger to hypothermia cases because, unfortunately, in the wintertime in Boston, you've got a lot of homeless folks and they get hypothermia. So she's, she's treated it a number of times. Um, when I asked her if she had ever heard of hypothermia leading to bleeding from the head via the eyes and ears, she said a change in altitude might have been, played a factor in the story. Um, I've also, I've got a friend named Maria who's a nurse, and she's been a nurse for a, a long time, and she confirmed this. The condition is called barrio, uh, barotrauma, which is a sudden bleeding from the ears and sometimes eyes caused by a rapid change in altitude. Now, granted, these guys weren't moving super fast, but traveling about a mile down and trying to rush it could possibly trigger this so the other thing too is with the storm overhead your barometric pressure your air pressure can drop significantly oh yeah so they don't, i didn't think about that so they don't have to actually go down really quick which they probably couldn't on a level three trail but the air from the you know from the storm it can drop significantly Especially so when it was pressure, so windy. That air pressure and it was so yeah. windy, it could have just bottomed out like really fast, which would have caused that if they were <clears throat> malnourished, if they were already cold. Yeah. And so that's another thing that we'll get to in a sec. But um, basically, they both kind of confirmed that this is a possibility. Now, on its own, it may not have been a factor. Because in high elevation, your body produces red, red blood cells. In fact, there was a study that was done in 2016, which I know is kind of a long time ago for medical studies, but... It's still a pretty Not relevant really. study. It it is for medical stuff for for like, because that's I mean that's when six seven years ago now. No, it's yeah six years ago. Yeah, it's already. Kind um, yeah. but the study that they did was in the mountains of Bolivia, and they brought people. They brought athletes up to this mountain. It's a very small study with only twenty people, but they actually published a lot of papers because their findings were basically across the board. So there was no. There were no outliers. Everybody kind of had the same response. They found that your body adjusted to that altitude within uh, uh, 24 to 48 hours. Hmm. When I say adjusted, what what your body did, what their body did, excuse me, is it created more red blood cells. More red blood cells can actually lead to hypoxia. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) 
Hypoxia is when um, you have so many red blood cells that you experience clotting. You can get thrombosis in your legs. So that's actually why you, when, you, when you fly, you're actually at a greater risk of getting um, blood clots oh. because your body's the pressure yeah. in that's the cabin of the plane. That's what they tell you to get up exactly. and walk around. Exactly. Yeah. However, having hypothermia, being in hypothermic conditions for more than 24 hours can reduce that effect greatly because your blood thins out because it's so cold. Plus they're malnourished, mm-hmm. plus they're exhausted. Their bodies are just not ready. So a little bleed from the ear, from the change in barometric pressure, especially mm-hmm. from the cyclone, which again, yeah. I really didn't think of it. So that's a great call out. Um, that change in barometric pressure would have been even worse. So it wouldn't have been a little bleed because when you have thinner blood, that little bleed is real bad. And oh, yeah. you'll mm-hmm. just start yeah. gushing, which can lead to panic which is only going to exacerbate and speed up the um, the hypothermia. Yeah, if you've ever cut yourself after like 10 beers, you, you know. You, do, you bleed. Yeah, I got a tattoo once. <laughs> I drank the night no, before. No, no, no. I drank the night before and I got a tattoo. And uh, yeah, I just started gushing. It was it, yeah. like, it wasn't like, you know, real bad. But my, my tattoo artist was like, you had a couple beers last night, didn't you? And I was like, yeah, I didn't think it would be that bad. He's like, nah, it's, it's not that bad, but you're definitely bleeding a little bit. He's like, yeah, I, I told you oh. not to do this, remember? Yeah. <laughs> um, so another thing to think about is what I mentioned before, the shunting. When your body constricts the blood vessels in your extremities, and so you have more blood in your trunk, your head, and your, uh, your heart. The problem with that is now you've got even more blood. That's really thin. Yeah going out holes in the side of your head that it should so yeah you're gushing blood at this point so it's very possible um so more blood in the head could pronounce could be what valentina described um now the other thing that speeds up uh hypothermia is shock as i mentioned before they were they were fighting they were like pulling their clothes off when the bodies were found they were in various states of undress shock will lead your body to feel like it's warm which will lead to paradoxical undressing, which would explain why all of their shoes and socks were off. Well, in the end, if you're feeling the effects of, to go back to what I was saying, the you know low-frequency sound that you have no idea what that is, like that's just going to exacerbate. Yeah, it's going to make it even worse. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, okay, so disclaimer time. Now that we've talked about this, I want you to take all this with a big grain of salt. I am not a fucking doctor, nor do I play one on TV. I'm actually just a moron. (laughs) The two women I spoke to are very good at their jobs, but they only had my simple brain explaining the circumstances in a short article I sent, which highlighted the symptoms. They're certainly not diagnosing anyone. Um, So all I'm saying is it probably isn't an easy answer, but rather a collection of circumstances, much like Love Pass, accumulated possibly into the symptoms and ultimate demise. And that is the script. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Fixed and that it. is a script and i'm sticking to it yeah i did seven hours of research and i solved it i solved the case guys. and my time my timing just just waiting for you to get ready and like ah oh, here comes every show just but you guys get it right like you know yes. that's like so to me i, yeah, I don't you can... know if this is i understand now why hypothermia was a good call yeah because before when I heard hypothermia, I'm like, what the fuck are these Russian doctors smoke? Like, where did they get their degrees? Did they just like mail the back of a cereal box? Like, how the fuck did that happen? But after learning a little bit more about all the conditions that all the symptoms, um, it really surprised me. I was like, oh, shit, this is a real possibility. This is something that could be really bad. I was really hoping that it would be like some kind of forest mushrooms that they ate and they all just. Well, that was another that theory, actually. That was another theory. In fact, when I asked um one of my friends with a medical experience they said to me did they eat any mushrooms yeah no i mean sounds like yeah. it yeah. Or drive some people other that plants, mad you know yeah. so um that is a theory but the thing is why did only one of them not get it and that's also why kind of the nerve agent thing didn't really fit yeah it's true yeah. too why did only one person survive it still doesn't necessarily explain it the only thing i could think of is that maybe um valentina had just had wool she had more wool clothing. Um, yeah, she could have just been war- more warmly dressed. Because that's another thing when you go hiking, for all of you who want to go, like Boomer, um, you're going hiking. <laughs> Someone's going to take you. Don't wear cotton. Can cotton you, kills. Do you, you want to wear synthetics or wool? Do you have the picture 
of the group standing? I do, yes. Can you throw that on the screen? There we because go. Because I saw that. They're all fucking wearing cotton. I can tell that that's cotton. cotton. Yeah. That is all cotton right there. And that's being weighed down and sweaty. And Where's well, the, that's I the can't... other thing. So the reason, so let me let me get into why Merc Docs pisses me off so much at the end. Because they did such a good <laughs> job. I was like, I was going to follow them. I was going to watch all their videos. I was very excited. And then at the end of the video, these fucking tools are like, oh, but hypothermia doesn't, isn't possible because the average temps in the time were 60 degrees. <laughs> And I was like, you can get hypothermia in 60 degree weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, what's your, what, yeah, what's your body, what's your body yeah, temperature you supposed to be? Yes, body temperature is between 97 and 99 degrees. And they say if your body, so if your body temperature drops below 95 degrees. Yeah, you're in you trouble. Can, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So 60 degrees is less. I had so. a friend when I was in Boy Scouts. It was one of my first uh, trips with them. They were on a canoe trip. We had been in the water all day and, you know, canoeing's not, it's not a super tough thing to do, but you certainly get cold and you get wet. Um, and he had stayed in the wet clothes all day. And by the time we got back to the campsite, he was shivering and he couldn't speak properly. And that was because hypothermia had started to set in. Now, thankfully we warmed him up. We got him taken care of. Um, but you can absolutely 100% get hypothermia, even in, in a sunny 60 degree day, if the wind is cold enough and where they're getting snow and freezing rain, of Mm -hmm. course you can get hypothermia. So anyone who says that that's not a possibility has either never been outside once in their life, or they're just being willfully obtuse because it, it makes for a more fun story. But yeah, hypothermia is an absolute possibility. And that's why I got so mad, and I'm still mad about it. <laughs> you can tell, very like, mad. It's ridiculously okay. angry about something so stupid, but it just anyone who did even like five minutes of research on hypothermia would know that. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. You know what's funny? I was talking, uh, I was talking to somebody about the maze scene, and they actually got nightmares from Jack Nicholson running around in the maze. That was me. Yeah. It was Tiff. Oh, Tiff had oh. it too. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Oh Tiff, you too. Yeah, she said that she oh, said that she got God. nightmares from of from Jack Nicholson running through the maze with the axe. Yes. Which was funny to me because I got nightmares from the uh the old lady. What yeah, was it room eleven thirty eight or something? Yeah, they're both at the Oh the oh. old lady. Fuck. No, it was like two thirty seven. Two forty one or two forty one. The old lady in that room, she's what gave me nightmares. Mm. Terrified the shit out of me. That whole movie. Yeah. Such a good movie. So scary though. All right. Well, that was a show. Um. Anybody got anything else? I can hear the cats at the door. They're ready Is to come. Oh in. yeah, they were. They, That's they want at the in. Door. That was oh. her meow. Definitely, it was very high. Yep. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> says actually, it's the old lady from me. Oh, I thought you said it was the the maze. I'm pretty sure you said the maze scared you too, but yeah, the old lady ruined it for me. Yeah, that's creepy. Maybe the it was twins. you, Laura, that I was talking to. Yeah, and it was the maze. The maze, yeah, the maze, and the and the twins. The twins didn't bother me nearly as much as the. As I didn't the, like the uh, bike either. That's gonna sound oh, really stupid. That. Him going through the hallways as a kid oh, that just bothered the hell me out. out of me. And I think it was just because I, you know, like as a little kid, my parents would never let me ride a fucking bike in the house. Oh, they, oh, they both did. Okay, yeah, the old lady was what did it. The breaking through the door didn't bother me too much. I'd actually go hike, go for a hike if someone asked. Maybe, maybe you just heard that no one asked. That's fair, too. That's fair. Jack in the door, that was actually pretty scary, too. thing about Jack Nicholson is I had seen him in other movies, so it didn't scare me as much. Because I had seen him in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I had seen him in yeah. um, Five Easy Pieces. So like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's Jack Nicholson just being weird, but shit, that old lady, I was not ready for it. Yeah, I just think the overall vibe of that movie, like, because I saw it as a little. I mean, that's why it's such a classic. It's just a phenomenal movie. Mm. And and honestly, like, as good, yeah, as good as the movie was, the book was better. Yeah, I got to read the book. I want to see Doctor Sleep. I haven't seen it. Really good too. Yeah, I heard it was really good. I just haven't gotten the chance. I didn't read the book until I was like in college, so that was way after I saw it. But I was like, oh man, I was like, I understand that you couldn't do the the movie the same way the book was set up just because of the spe- you know the things that go on yeah. like some of the special effects that would have had to take in place but also Stanley Kubrick is a way different like yeah I'd also I actually that. read that Wait. Stanley Kubrick thought that, that um, 
that uh, Stephen King was a shitty writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, like in, really in, in the book that like some writer. of the, uh, I remember the, like the maze had like these like uh, dinosaurs, like bushes in the shape of dinosaurs and stuff and they and beings and they all came alive and were like that was scary yeah, yeah but that was in the book but that didn't happen in the movie because well, they, they i think that was in the miniseries yes because yeah. the miniseries was more based on the book with the guy from wings <laughs> i was not ready for that that uh that or uh, character arc he went from being the womanizer in wings to being jack torrance oh it was room 217 I was close. I was close to something. I was so off. You know, I was thinking 1138. That's um, George Lucas's THX 1138. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Well, a lot that's of numbers to gang. remember. Tell yeah. us in the comments what you think it is. We'll check them out tomorrow. You can comment on Twitter. You can comment on YouTube. I certainly want to read it. Please like and subscribe. We liked this so much. We'll probably do it again sometime very soon. Yeah, we should, we should like do more episodes and stuff. Um, I'll put some research in the tank, and I think we'll be back at this. Not next week. Uh, not this Thursday coming up, but maybe the Thursday after. Uh, Thursday after that, we're we're on vacation. Oh well, fuck you for taking. Yeah, vacation. sorry. All right, we'll so you gotta good. wait. You gotta wait two weeks, but we'll be back yeah, at it for sure. Get some stuff. But we're ready to go. This felt good. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching. Subscribe to the Supernova. You're welcome, and we're sorry. Bye.